So here it is, once again, in the discipleship training. And we're going to enter into the world of Scripture. Hallelujah. Be a poem. says, welcome to my world. Place where the natural eyes can't see, where your physical bodies can't be, where the last is first, the first is last, the end is told from the beginning, when it appears as though one is losing, they're actually winning. Where trumpets are depicted as voices and the persecuted righteous don't complain, but actually rejoices. Here swords are likened to the word, the demons of birth, the dead are yet alive, the living are actually dead, blood and flesh are even depicted as wine and bread. It's a place wherein the humble are depicted as poor, and the poorer one becomes, the later found to be that much richer. I'm speaking of no other place than the Yasun world of scripture. So please turn off your phones, perk up your ears, and get ready to listen. For the rock cock with Dutch is about to begin teaching. Hallelujah. Alright, so again, we're exploring the story of Israel, and we're going to take it from the top. I don't know how long we're going to keep being able to take it from the top. It's getting kind of long. <laughs> you know, so... But today we're going to still take it from the top. So we're talking about Israel, you know, the son of Elohim, you know, which we all should be seeking and striving to become, sons and daughters of Elohim, amen? You know, there are native-born Israelites, you know, and there are those who are becoming Israelites or have became Israelites, you know, and it doesn't matter. You know, the invitation is, is open and and wide and open to for any and everyone to come as come as they are, you know. But don't get confused with come as ye are to mean stay as ye are. He wants you to come as ye are. You can come as ye are, but you can't stay as ye are. You know, you have to conform to his will, way, and purposes. If you're gonna be an Israelite, you have to conduct yourself as such. You know, if you've done that, welcome to Israel. You know, but don't become boastful because you can't lose your citizenship. You know, so once once you're Israel, don't mean you're always Israel. You know, so that's something to always keep it, keep in mind so that you will covet, you know, uh, well not covet but cherish, you know, the right to be in Israelite. Amen. You know, because it it is truly a right. You know, and it's a blessing. Now, Israel, you know, Israel actually, you know, at some point, every Israelite has to go to Egypt. That is, they have to learn. They have to learn the letter of the word. They have to learn some type of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, even if it's that of the world. You know, they go to Egypt to do that, scripturally speaking. And so, just as sure as everyone has to go to Egypt, they also have to leave at some point. At some point, you need to take what you've learned in the letter of the word and, and begin to apply it to your life. You know, and when you do so, you'll be leaving out of Mitzrayim, leaving out of Egypt, and you'll be entering into your wilderness experience. Now, whilst going through your wilderness experience, there will be times in which you'll think that you're sure to die. You just know it. You know, I done been led out here to just die. You know, um, it's going to be time and you're going to be so hungry, you know, that you're just going to be sure you're just going to croak. You know, but then God will provide. There's going to be times when you're so thirsty, you think you're going to die of thirst. But again, God will provide. 
you know, this wilderness experience is to prove you. To make certain that you're worthy of Yah. And alternatively, or, you know, um, also, it proves to you that Yah is with you. You know, just like the song we sing, even when you don't see him, he's working. Even when you can't feel him, he's working. You know, he's always working on our behalf. You know, and this is what the wilderness experience actually teaches us ultimately. You know, we just have to, teaches us we have to trust in him. You know, we have to know that we're his and trust in him. Now, while in this wilderness experience, we're going through some things, you know, but even as 1 Corinthians 15, 46, which says the spiritual, however, was not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. So it is what our wilderness experience. We go through some natural things first, and then we get hit with some spiritual things. You know, and this is the way of Yah. You know, when we read the word, we should be reading the word trying to decipher and discern the way of the Most High. We want to be able to recognize his ways. So when we start going through something in our lives, we can know how he's going to deal with us or how he's going to respond to us. Now, if you're paying attention when you're reading the word, you'll find that he's not going to come to your aid until the very last moment. Yes, he's going to wait right up to the bottom of the knife, two outs, bases loaded, two strikes, and then he's going to knock it out the park for you. But it is so stressful getting there. It's so stressful up to the point he knocks it out the park. But it's only stressful if you don't trust him. It's only stressful if you don't understand his, his ways. And that's why we have scripture. To help us to understand our L. And help us to understand his ways and how he deals with us. You know, he doesn't come when we want him to come. But he always come on time. Amen. So we talk about some physical things. Happening, you know, and when we look back upon the journey of Israel, we see many physical things, but some stand out more than others, you know, such as the physical manna from heaven. You know, this is some what it looked like, maybe kind of sort of, you know, kind of like popcorn on it, um, but it isn't. It's supposed to be manna from heaven, you know, but. Whatever it looked like, looked like and whatever it tasted like, it was a physical food. Amen? That was physically provided for Israel. You know, and they also received physical water from a physical rock. You know, now these things have spiritual representations as well, but they received the physical first. And in doing so, they got to a point to where they will come under attack. And you should thank Yah for this, for this record of this attack. 
with Amalek because it teaches us how to do battle. It teaches our hands to fight. You know, and that is with them held up high. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> With our hands held high, this is how this is how we fight. We praise our way into the victory. You know, as was so candidly demonstrated. You know. <laughs> yes. We praise our way into our victories. You know, and that's what you want to keep in mind. You want to. Keep in mind that whenever Moshe brought his arms down, they began to lose. Whenever he brought his arms down, the battle began, Israel began to lose the battle. Whenever he kept his hands up, they would, they would get to win, win. So, you know, whatever you're going through, whatever the situation or circumstance, whatever the, that it is that you're battling with, you have to learn to keep your hands up. And don't just have your hands up in and of themselves. Make certain you have the staff in your hands. The staff represents your support. Yes, you want to hand it over to Yah. Your provision. You want to hand it over to Yah. You know, you want to hand him everything that you are worrying about. Just give it over to him. Let him take it. Once you've done all that you can do and the best that you can do, there's nothing left to do but praise him. And this is how we fight. Take note that Moshe is sitting on the rock. Don't forget the rest. On the rock, which is our Messiah Yahshua, you know, and we're to keep our hands held high. We're to praise them. We sometimes we're gonna need someone to help keep them arms up because they grow tired after a while. So you have to get you a an errand that is a light bringer to help bring light to the situation or the circumstance. And you need to get you a her that is a righteous man to show you how to walk righteously during that time, even when your arms are sore, even when you're tired of praising, even when you're tired of holding them up high, you know, that's when you get some help. And so we have to learn this because this is how we fight. And Amalek attacks us when? We're in, when we're in a low place. He attacks us when we are at our most vulnerable points. You know, so, you know, keep that in mind. You know, he's the one who kicked you when you down. You know, but now we know how to fight. And so, in fighting the way that we've learned, we will obtain the victory. You know, then there were some spiritual things that came behind the physical things, such as a spiritual manner from heaven which came in the form of leadership that was, that was formed in Israel at the advice of Moshe's father-in-law. He gave some wise advice, wise advice, you know, concerning 
judgment and who would judge over Yah's people. It's found in um, Exodus 18, 19 through 26. It says, Hearken now unto my voice, I will give thee counsel, and Elohim shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to, um, to, to Yahweh, that thou mayest bring causes unto Elohim, and thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shall show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of the people able men such as fear Elohim, men of truth, hating covetousness, and placing such over them to be rulers of thousands, and rulers of hundreds, and rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter shall they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. And so it shall be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. And so this is what was implemented, you know, and this was actually the birth of the oral law, the rabbinic oral law. This was his birthplace, you know, and so this went on and on and on and on until it just became so corrupted that it had to be done away with. So Yahshua sent his, I'm sorry, Yahuwah sent his son Yahshua to come and do away with it. And so he did eventually. But that was the spiritual manna from, from, on, from on high. That was the, uh, well, I'm sorry, not from on high, but from men. That was the, but it was a type of spiritual manna, you know, that would have to be done away with. So just like the physical manna was done away with, the spiritual manna was done away with as well when they entered into the land. You know, and they also had their spiritual water, which was the angel that was sent with them to lead them into the promised land. Now, along the way, they would come to Mount Sinai. You know, so Yah would bring them to Mount Sinai, and every Israelite has to come to their own spiritual Mount Sinai, and they, and this is where Yah propositions Israel. Proposition them to do what? You know, propositions them, you know, to tell them that, you know, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You know, this is what he told uh, Moshe to say to the house of Israel. You know, and so they eventually. You have to come before Mount Sinai. That is, you have to come to a point in your life, you know, where Yah is propositioning you. He's letting you know, like, look, you can be one of my special people too. You know, what do you have to do? You have to enter into covenant with him. And so he propositions you to enter into covenant with him. And you get to choose. You don't have to. You get to choose whether you do or you don't. You know, but if you do, Know that the covenant comes with terms and conditions. These terms and conditions can, you know, is what they call Torah. Now, there's a Christian view of Torah, which, you know, they think that Torah only consisted of the written word. But that's not so. Torah always had the written word, yeah, the Ten Commandments. You know, and the things that Yah told Moshe to tell Israel, 
but it was also the oral Torah that was passed down through the rabbinic law. You know, the, all those judgments that was made, you know, from those leaders that was instituted and from the um, priests. Yes. Those judgments were passed down. So when something similar happened, they well, remember, you know, this is what, what you know, they said they, he did in time past when, when this happened. And so we're going to do it again, you know, and so on and so forth, you know. And uh, it's not by happenstance, but, it, you know, but it's uncanny to think, like, that's the same way our system works today, you know. Via case law, it's the same thing. A bunch of man-made judgments, you know, whether they were right or wrong, you know, we're gonna use that to rule over the people. Say lot. Well, Israel, to the, to Yah's proposition, said, "All that Yahuwah has spoken, we will do." So they accepted the proposition and they became Elohim's covenant nation. You know, and if we do likewise, we become likewise. Amen? Mm -hmm. You know, then y'all tells them, okay, now that you're my covenant people, you can't just be like anybody else. Mm -hmm. Not if you mind. See, because you have to be holy even as I am holy. That means you have to be set apart even as I am set apart. Yes. You know, and everybody said, yeah, I want to be holy. And yeah, I, I, want, I want that. But when y'all begins to set them apart from everyone else, they freak out. Well, everybody else doing this. <laughs> well, nobody else is doing that. Right. Well, that's the whole definition of holy. To be set apart. Yes. If everybody else was doing it, you wouldn't be holy. Hello. So Yah asks us to make a dwelling place for him. But then he tells us how to do it. We can't just make it the way we want to make it and expect for him to dwell there. No, it doesn't work that way. Exodus 25, 2, speaking to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering every of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And what this teaches us is that if you're going to build a tabernacle, that is a dwelling place for Elohim, you have to do it willingly. No one can coerce you into it. Or it won't be accepted. You know, you just have an empty place. Yah is not going to dwell there. It has to be done. It has to be done willingly. You know, and so you put the um, announcement out there and then people bring and give with the willingness that Yah put in their hearts. You know, and that's pretty much how that go. And one of the first things um, he tells them to make is the Ark of the Covenant. Now that you have this wonderful covenant with Elohim, you need a place to put it. So he put it in the Ark. And the Ark is atopped with the mercy seat. That is the throne of Elohim. You know, so in the scheme of things, 
you know, the tabernacle is just simply a man laid out in the wilderness. And the Holy of Holies represents the mind. And the ark went there. And that's all that was in there. And the only thing that was in the ark was the terms and conditions of Yah's covenant. Hallelujah. So people have all this other stuff up in the Holy of Holies. It's not doing anything but polluting it. There's not supposed to be anything in there. Your number one objective and goal should be the covenant of Elohim that you have with him. Yeah. And upholding that. Because we know he's going to do his part. But we have to make certain we do our part. You know, now, like I said, the hop, the um, art. It houses Yah's word concerning his covenant. That is the conditions and terms of, of his covenant, the way we're to, to live whilst in covenant with him. You know, that's what his word teaches us. It teaches us his will, way, and purposes. So we have to enter into his will, way, and purposes and learn what he expects from us as his people. Otherwise, we won't be his people. You know, so uh, speaking of the mercy seat, you know, anyone who doesn't adhere to his Torah and his and um, to his Torah and Yahshua's commandments, that is his words and sayings, you know, i.e. the terms and conditions of the covenant that they've entered into with Elohim aren't going to be ruled by Yahuwah Elohim. He's not going to be the one sitting on that mercy seat. That's not to say that it's going to go empty. It just won't be him that's sitting on it. Someone else may take that throne. But Yah surely won't. And I don't think you want nobody else on that throne. Then we're called to create a table. Table of showbread. And we talked about how this table speaks to the heart. So in other words, Yah calls us to prepare our hearts to receive his word. And who's his word? Yahushua. So we're to prepare our hearts to receive his word, to receive our Messiah, our Redeemer, our King. He, he instructs us to make a menorah. That is, have to have some, some light up in the house. Have to have some wisdom, some understanding, some knowledge up in the house. Because the table, as beautiful as it is and as prepared as it is to receive the bread of Elohim, it sits in the dark part of, of the holy place. So it needs some light, you know, in order for it to be seen, that is understood. You know, and so he has us make a menorah. And we talked about how the branches of the menorah speaks to the churches, you know, so... You know, essentially he's telling us to, A, get in an assembly. B, make certain that it has its candle lit. That is, make certain the Ruach is working with it and giving wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. You know, then he tells us, hey, make me a brazen altar. 
And I love the brazen altar because the picture is so clear with the brazen altar. You can clearly see what that represents, can't you? You know, anybody remember what the brazen altar represents? Yes, it's actually the whole GI tract. It's actually the whole gastrointestinal tract is pictured in this, in the brazen altar. Beautiful picture. So the brazen altar is simply a picture of the GI tract, the um, gastrointestinal system. The graded work, all these little squares, this little graded work, well, the gastrointestinal system starts at your mouth, it goes from what I like to say, the rooty to the tootie. You know, <laughs> you know. So the little squares, guess what that represent? The little squares that's in your mouth, that's at the beginning of the gastrointestinal tract, i.e., your teeth. You know, it don't take that much imagination to, to see teeth in a bunch of little squares, right? You know, because that's all your teeth are, a bunch of little squares. You know, now, it represents the teeth, hence, you put the sacrifices or the fools upon it. You don't take the, the um, fools and put it down at the bottom of the altar. It has to go on top of the little squares. It has to go on top of the teeth. Isn't that what we do? Now, when the food is consumed, it falls through those little squares and go deeper down. That's just a picture of the food being swallowed and going into the stomach. Now here's where it gets interesting. Because Leviticus 6, 12, and 13 says, And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning. And lay the burnt offering in order upon it. He shall burn there, there on the fat of the peace offerings. The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. So think about that. The fire of the altar never goes out. You know, and the fire was at the bottom of the altar, um, and it never goes, it never went out. It was, it was um, uh, a consuming fire, and likewise, at the bottom of the stomach, there's a type of consuming fire in our stomachs known as hydrochloric acid. It's one of the hottest acids on the planet, and it consumes everything that we drop down into our stomach. Everything that we put on the altar and it falls down, we swallow, it goes into that acid. And that acid consumes it. You know, and guess what? When the acid consumes it or when the fire consumes consumes um, what's left of the uh, of the sacrifice, it goes down into the fire and then the fire completely consumes it and then there's a residue that's left that we call ash. The ashes. 
the priests were commanded to take the ashes, gather the ashes, and take them out of the camp. Well, likewise, after the food leaves from, from our uh, stomachs, it goes into our lower bowel, into our upper bowels, and then into our lower bowels, and then it's taken out of the camp via defecation. Can't you see it's the same thing? Now, Yah did not allow any and every food to be put upon his altar. Hence his word teaches us that we're not to put unclean sacrifices or foods upon our altars neither. So you have to understand that these tabernacles we walking around in, these temporary dwelling places, they're meant to be the dwelling place of Elohim. You know, and if we're going to have dwelling places for Elohim, then that means some priests have to rule over it. Amen? Who's our high priest? Yahshua. Yahshua is also known as what? Both of those things are true. But what else? What was that? The lamb. He is the lamb, but we're not trying to eat him right now. Um, the word. Absolutely. He is the word. And so our high priest, you know, he instructs us through the word. So when we follow the word, it is as if our high priest is actually servicing our tabernacle. And so he's the high priest. Who's the lower priest? We are. It's our responsibility. Just like it was the lower priest's responsibility to keep everything running smoothly and keep the tabernacle clean. Amen? You know, and where did all these sacrifices come from? They came from the people. From the um, 12 tribes. Well, where were the 12 tribes in relation to the tabernacle? Laid out around them. Yes, they were all, all about around them. And they represent the flesh of the man. And so... You know, if you imagine how they were laid out north, south, east, and west, you can see the flesh of the man, i.e. the hand of the man, bringing in the sacrifices. You know, hand them off. You know, it's a beautiful picture, you know, if, if, if you have eyes to see it. Point being, we're supposed to be priest and it's our responsibility to keep the temple clean. And if we don't, then Yah's not going to dwell there. It may be a tabernacle. It'll just be your tabernacle, your temporary dwelling place. Emphasis on temporary. But it won't be Yah's. Say la. You know, so we're supposed to put 
only clean sacrifices upon our altars. Let me have my first reader read Leviticus 11, 45 through 47. Leviticus 11, 45. For I am Yahuwah that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God, to your Elohim. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law of the beasts and of the fowl and of every living creature that moveth in the waters and of every creature that creepeth upon the earth to make a difference between the unclean and the clean and between the beasts that may be eaten and the beasts that may not be eaten. Hallelujah. Okay, so this is this is the Torah. This is the, the teachings and instructions. This is the law. You know, Yah gave us. It's found in Leviticus 11. Those are the food laws. He tells us what to eat, what not to eat. He tells us what's clean and what's not clean. And so we're to keep our altars clean, you know, so that we don't defile, you know, our camp. Because if we defile our camp, Yah is not going to dwell there. And the whole purpose of making the camp was for, for Yah to, to dwell there. So, please, keep your tabernacle clean. You know, and that's not just on what you put in, in on, the, on the altar. You know, they had to make certain it was, it was clean all the way around. You know, some, some folks, they don't like cleaning the tabernacle. They get lazy. They don't want to clean the tabernacle. You got to keep your tabernacle clean. Hallelujah. That's right. We want clean tabernacles around here. You know. Next thing y'all tells us is make the tabernacle court. You know, and so tabernacle court, we spoke about it, how it actually represented the rib cage and the diaphragm in relation to, to the body. You know, so it's not too hard to imagine, you know all these wooden stakes and all the the bones of your ribs, you know, and the curtains that go around it and the diaphragm, which is like a curtain that go around it. And when the wind would hit these curtains, they would move. Just like when you take a breath and the wind hits the diaphragm, it moves. You know, it's just a beautiful picture of what goes on actually within our tabernacle you know and i probably should mention like if you were to look at israel from an aerial view where would the tabernacle be it would be right in the center so when you consider the human body it would be right where the torso is also consider this, if you weren't on high and you couldn't look down and, and see them, if you came from any direction, what would you see? Would you be able to see the tabernacle? You'll see the tribes. You'll just see the flesh of Israel. You wouldn't be able to see the inner part of Israel. You wouldn't be able to see 
the tabernacle. You wouldn't be able to see his court. You wouldn't be able to see his furniture. You wouldn't be able to see that if you were on ground level with them. Just like when someone look at you, they can't see the tabernacle of Elohim that's in you. So how do they know it's in there? By the way you carry yourself. How do they know it's in there? Because you're not like them. How do they know it's in there? Because you're set apart. How do they know it's in there? Because you're holy even as he is holy. Amen? So like, that's what, that's how they know. Next, we're commanded to make this outer court of the tabernacle, the which will encompass the holy things we've made thus far, i.e. the ark, the table, the showbread, the menorah, in relation to the human body, the gates and curtains of the tabernacle. I already said that. Consider how both the curtains and the diaphragm move in accordance with the Ruach. I said that. Yah teaches us with his order of events that we're not to get... Um, the proverbial cart before the horse and that we're not to fear Elohim without being covenanted with him. I didn't say that. Yes, you know, so the moving of the curtains and like the diaphragm, you know, speaks to the fear of Elohim. Now take note when you become, when one becomes afraid, when one actually becomes afraid, they really scared, they start breathing heavily. You know, that's just a show of the same thing when the wind hits the curtains of the tabernacle. You know, and so what I want you to see is that it represents fear, the fear of Elohim. And so we encase everything that is holy, most holy. And holiest with the fear of Elohim that we have towards them. Can you see that? You know, our fear of Elohim is to house or protect all that which is holy and set apart of Yah. You know, and so this is why we see it surrounds, this fence surrounds all of it that represents all the organs and everything so uh in other words you know he wants us to make certain we don't get the proverbial cart before the horse and that we're not fearing um him without being covenanted with him first you know so you gotta make the ark of the covenant you have to be covenanted with elohim you gotta do this before you make this fear of Elohim, because otherwise you may fear him so much that you won't even covenant with him. You may fear him to the point whereby you don't want to receive him into your heart, or to the point you don't want to understand him. So this is why you have to make your Ark of the Covenant first. You have to make your covenant first. You have to make your, your table, um, that is, prepare your heart to receive him first. You have to make your menorah, that is, get your understanding of him first. This is why you got to go to Egypt. You know, but on the other hand, we should fear Yah enough to protect our covenant with him, our heart for him, and our understanding of him. And that's why we put this enclosure around it, you know, 
we enclose it with the fear of Elohim to protect, you know, our covenant with him to make certain we fear him enough that we don't want to lose him. Protect our heart for him. Protect our understanding of him. Make certain our light don't go out. Then there's the olive oil. So the next thing he tells us to do is bring olive oil for the lamb. Exodus 27, 20, and 21. My next reader, please. And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring the pure olive oil, olive beaten for the light, to cause the lamp to burn always in the tabernacle of the congregation without the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall order it from evening to morning before Yahuwah. It shall be a statute forever unto their generations on the behalf of the children of Israel. All right. Okay, so now understand that the physical bringing of olive oil beaten for the light is a has a, a spiritual representation as well, and that spiritual representation speaks to actually speaks to the prophets of Elohim. They were like the olives, you know, and they were like the olives that was beaten for the light, you know, and all throughout Israel's history, we see the prophets catching it from the beginning to the end. They catch it and they catch it hard. You know, Yahshua spoke about it in a parable. It's found in Mark 12, 1 through 5. My next reading, please. And he began to speak unto them about parables. A certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged a place uh, for, the, for the wine fat and built a tower and let it out of husbandman, let it out to husbandman, let it out, and went into a far country. And at the season he sent, he sent the husbandman a servant that he might receive from the husbandman of the fruit of the vine, vineyard, vineyard, vineyard. And they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent unto them another servant. And at and at him they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handed. And he again sent another and him they killed and and many others beaten some and killed some. Hallelujah. So Yahshua spoke this parable in relation to the servants of Elohim. You know, I is prophets who were beaten and murdered that they might be, that there might be light in Israel. You know, this is how you got the oil from the olive. Even as you would get the olives from the tree, they had to beat the tree in order to get the olives. So the tree of Israel was beaten to get the olives. And then the olives then in turn crush to get the oil. You know, and so in the scheme of things, the servants of Elohim represents those olives that was crushed that we might have the oil that is the word of Elohim. You know, or the spirit of the word. You know, 
Um, they were like those olives and, and the word of Yah, which was in their mouths, was and is the oil in the midst of Yah's assemblies. You know, this is why, like, we're here now today. We're still speaking about the things that was in their mouths way back when they walked the earth. This is the stuff that came out of them. This is the words of Elohim that came out of them, that they were beat for, that they were murdered for. It's become precious unto us in that when we burn it, it gives forth light. It helps us to understand. It helps, gives us knowledge and wisdom concerning the Most High. You know, so let us not run around with our lamps empty. You know, because they went through a lot of trouble that we might have as oil. Amen. Next thing we read about is they're told to make priestly garments. Now, I know this slide says there are eight pieces. I don't know if the progenitor of this slide couldn't count, but I only counted six. You know, and I see where where they where they went went awry. They counted the turban and the crown separately. You know, even though they they really were together to make one piece, and then they added some pants. But scripture don't say nothing about any pants. <laughs> You know, I guess they just figure, like, you know, with their modern-day mind, like, you know, I know he had pants on, you know, just walking around with no dress, like, <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> but actually, Scripture don't say anything about any pants, you know, but it does speak about breastplate, you know, and so, you know, the breastplate had a representation of all the tribes of Israel. Mm. And so it's not hard to see that, you know, it depicts those of Israel. And it also was where the Urim and Thummim was, was carried. You know, and so that's, that was used to judge Israel. Mm. And this is this is the burden that was upon the priest, you know, especially the high priest, you know, because he would he would have to pass judgment or rule on the hardest of, of cases, you know. And so, hence, it's on his shoulder. This is where you carry the burdens, and so he had to judge Israel, you know. And so, that's the breastplate, you know, and. When we look at Isaiah 59, 17, it says, where he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head, and he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing that was clad with zeal as a cloak. Was clad with zeal as a cloak. And then tells us Ephesians 6, 14, it says, stand there having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate of righteousness is a part of the holy armor of Elohim which belongs to Yah's instruments of vengeance. That is, his, the soldiers of the army of Elohim. But that's not what we're talking about. The priestly breastplate 
speaks of faith and love. Mm. You know, First Thessalonians 5, 8 says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. You know, and it's believed that the faith and love speaks to the Urim and the Thummim that was actually put in the breastplate that, you know, brought about the judgment. Now, the breastplate represents all of Israel since it contains a stone for each of the tribes. You know, the priests are the ones entrusted to intercede on behalf of Israel and to judge them according to God's will and purposes. But they're to do so with faith and love, even as the high priest judged Israel with the Urim and Thummim. And Urim spoke to, um, spoke to the lights. It, it literally translate, it translate as lights. And then the Thummim, you know, translates as perfections. But some people think that Urim uh, could also translate to curses. And Thummim, you know, as maybe blessings. You know, so showing that when they went to judge, it was either they were going to be deemed cursed or deemed, you know, blessed. Or, you know, clean or unclean. However you see, see, you know, um, view it. But point being, that's what they used to actually judge. You know, so Yahweh answered via the Urim or the Thummim. And you'll see this, you know, in the story of David. He he tells Abiathar, "Hey, bring it, bring bring it over here, so I can, so I can actually, um, so I can ask." And then he would inquire of Yah, and then he'll get his answer. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's that idea of cursed. <laughs> or is it blessed? You know, um, or you know, does it have light? That is, does it have wisdom, un um, understanding, and knowledge? Or not so much. You know, and so this is how they receive their answers. Next, we have an ephod of the high priest. Now, the ephod actually speaks to like this blue part. You know. Um, it, went over the shoulders so it's kind of like a uh, shoulder piece you know so it went over the shoulders and it was like three-quarter length what we would call today like three-quarter length mm -hmm. you know and then we had the, uh, the tunic and the robe so the tunic spoke to the, the white linen garment, you know, which was, the tunic was an undergarment. So it was beneath everything else. And then the robe was worn over the tunic. And so it spoke to this, to this longer, um, this longer robe. It's not as long as the tunic. I don't know what length we would call this. Um, say again. Mid length, well, I, well, yeah, well, it's definitely below the knee, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so you know, we we we'll just call it flood, you know. So. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> just imagine he was flooding, you know. That's about where you know where where the uh, the robe was, was stopped and the tunic will you know go all the way down to the ankles you know so 
Yeah, that's up there by the shins, okay. And then we had the ephod, you know, which was uh, kind of like three-quarter length, you know. And so these were the different coverings, the different garments, you know, that that was uh, put upon put upon the priest. You know, Isaiah fifty nine seventeen tells us, for he put on righteousness. I, I already did that. Didn't I? All right, never mind that. Revelation nineteen eight tells us, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Mm. And so when we look at when we look at the tunic, we see it's made out of white linen. So we know that that represents righteousness. Amen? You know, and then when it comes to the robe, Isaiah 61, 6 through 10 says, But ye shall be named the priest of Yahuwah. Men shall call you the ministers of our Elohim. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. For your shame shall ye shall have double. For your shame ye shall have double, and for confusion they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in the land they shall possess the devil. Everlasting joy shall be unto them. For I, Yahuwah, love judgment. I hate robbery for burnt offering, and I will direct their work in truth, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and their seed shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people and all that see them shall acknowledge them that they are the seed which Yahuwah hath blessed. I will greatly rejoice in Yahuwah. My soul shall be joyful in my Elohim for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation and he hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. You know, and so this robe speaks to righteousness as well. You know, and so the um, tunic actually speaks to the righteousness of Torah. And then the blue robe speaks to the righteousness of Yahushua. The one which came from on high, from out the sky. Colors the sky blue. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, and so next we have the mitre, you know, which was actually a turban. And it had a gold nameplate on it that said Kodesh La Yahuwah. And you know, which means holiness to Yahuwah. And so, this is, of course, meant to convey that we're to keep our mind stayed on Yah. Keep our mind stayed on Yah and keep our mind stayed on Yah. Because there shouldn't be nothing up in here but his covenant and terms and conditions of his covenant. Amen? And then lastly, we have the girdle, that is the belt. You know, and the only thing I could find concerning the belt is in the, in the um, armor 
uh, the gospel armor, you know, of the soldiers, you know, maybe, and it maybe it's it's both, but maybe it's the same on both uh, both of the sets of sets of uh, garments, the priestly as well as the the soldiers, you know, and that is truth. You know, Ephesians six tells us, you know, be girt with truth. And so those are the high priest garments. And then the next thing we read about is now that the high priest had their garments, now that they're covered with righteousness and salvation, you know, they're consecrated, you know, for service. And likewise with ourselves, you know, once we 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 are covered with righteousness, the righteousness of Torah, um, the righteousness of Yahushua's commandments, words, and sayings, you know, we can be consecrated, you know, once we're judging righteously, our mind is stayed on Yah, you know, we can begin to serve his, and service his tabernacle. And so, consecrated to do so. That's all I have for you today. Prayer was a blessing. We'll take any questions now. Bells represent noise. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. But <laughs> uh, but actually, no, I never, I never studied that part out. Um, uh, so I'm sorry. I, just, I, I don't know. It represents the lily, which is a spring flower. In other words, well, hold on, wait, wait, wait till you get the mic so everybody can hear you. The bells and pomegranates symbolize the spring and fall feasts. The pomegranate symbolizing the fall harvest. And the bells, if you notice the shape of them, symbolize the lily, which is a spring flower, which symbolizes Passover. So this is all relating to the holy days. Hallelujah. Anyone else? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, let's look at our calendar. We still had some shofars out back here on the last week or so, so if you didn't get a shofar, make sure you pick one up. Um, we don't have any special days coming up uh, in the next week, but just for your calendar so you have a reminder. Uh, a week from uh, Sunday, which is uh, 17th, December 17th is Young Pinguin. Uh, we will be here on Sunday, December 17th. And then the next day, the following day, the 18th, will be the first day of month 10. Yeah, time's flying. So just, uh, you know, not this Sunday coming up, 